Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be giving you over the next 20 minutes or so our thoughts on three important matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space. We're starting this week by taking a look at uh, the business of subscriptions and um, prompted, uh, certainly in small part, by the latest uh, quarterly figures out from the membership collective group uh, who we uh, we came to know as Soho House. Uh, they still run Soho Houses, but they've called themselves membership collective group when they listed in the States uh, a few months back. Uh, they managed to grow their revenues substantially and they've opened some more Soho Houses around the place. But perhaps what's most impressive about the uh, presentation of the results uh, and also the, the company's outlook, which it gave for the rest of the year, was the fact that they are signing up more and more members uh, they have persuaded those members to pay a substantially increased monthly fee well ahead of inflation uh, and they're even signing up members in cities where they don't yet have a Soho house um, joining the club and, uh, and and then even persuading them to go out and help find suitable premises in which to to open a Soho house so um, they've they've they're adding more and more members, but more importantly, they've got a uh, strong pipeline of people waiting to become members too. And uh, all that seems to be driving their uh, membership revenues quite nicely uh, alongside the revenues they get from other things such as uh, selling hotel rooms and F&B in the various uh, properties they've got. So uh, this is one um, company that's listed it in the States in the last year or so uh, in our accommodation sector that looks to be quite clear it's going to be get, getting into delivering profit before all that uh, much longer um, and uh, things seem to be spinning quite well for them. Um, of course they're not the only people looking at um, memberships and how membership revenues can be driven to produce a nice solid uh, bottom line on the on the accounts. Um, we also had a quick look around at uh, Selena which is uh, another outfit more a kind of hostel hotel provider but they are also looking at uh, doing accommodation packages and co-working packages on a subscription basis and of course it's something else that uh, there are plenty of other people in and around the the hotel and the conversation space are interested in and having a look at some are doing less well than others TripAdvisor for example with their TripAdvisor Plus subscription uh, launched with a great fanfare and it hasn't worked out all that well yet for them because uh, they suddenly discovered that um, hotel brands don't wish to see their their product substantially discounted or at least publicly discounted we all going to be signing up we're living a subscription life more and more are we all going to be signing up for more and more accommodation subscriptions in future yeah i think we've said before about how um compelling the subscription business model is um we've referenced that a few times and certainly um mcg soho house um is probably the the poster child for it um <clears throat> rather like airbnb though it's still unprofitable um it's not actually making money um and unlike Airbnb, um, unfortunately, it is still uh, trading in terms of its share price below about more than 25% below where it listed in July 2021. So there's still some ground to be made up there at uh, um, MCG, I think. Um, 
interestingly they've just hired a new cfo and he's thomas allen who uh um, currently managing director at morgan stanley where he leads mm. the u.s gaming lodging and leisure sector research so um one would think that uh, if anybody can spot an opportunity it ought to be him so to have <laughs> left the um you know the cozy confines of of morgan stanley to go go work for mcg um he he must believe in its model um but more broadly in terms of subscriptions within the in the hotel space i think we are still in the very early uh, foothills of of this particular mountain um and we're just finding our way now subscript the subscription model has swept the whole software sector before it so you've got uh, it has really been behind the 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 growth of giants like salesforce salesforce and it's helped um you know what we're looking at one point quite tired bmos like uh, microsoft come back in to be hugely valuable companies once again in terms of how they they use that uh, software as a service now the obvious difference between software as a service and sort of hospitality as a service is that hotels are already rented um nobody was going out buying a hotel room well i mean we have had models where they buy a hotel room but they've not come <laughs> they've not been <laughs> not particularly successful well. no um but uh, in in the context of generally hotel rooms are already rented so that isn't really the consumer proposition so it's something different and i've been watching quite closely what um citizen m have been up to in this area because um they are pretty tech savvy and they're pretty go-gitty and they've got a vertically interment vertically integrated model which enables them to be quite fleet of foot and to move into things quickly um so we saw them make this move in september 2021 when we talked about it and raved about it in fact mm -hmm. um as i recall but uh, they've quietly binned that initial um exercise in in subscription so they had a corporate subscription where you paid 500 pounds or 500 euros 500 dollars or something around that number um and you had three nights um a month you signed up for as long as many months as you like but you got uh, access to a meeting room um, and other benefits and stuff like that that obviously didn't work out so they've got this new thing which you write about chris or you sort of touch on which is this uh, my citizen m plus whereby you spend nine or ten euros a month nine pounds a month um and you get really to me it, it's sort of uh, you buy your way into an elite um membership category of a loyalty scheme effectively with this so what you're getting is you're getting a discount on your room rate you're getting guaranteed a room if you book at least 48 hours in advance you get an upgrade to a premium room you get first in queue for the chat service um and a variety of other bits and bobs as well thrown in there and it, you know and this is for that uh, um, 10 euros a month and uh, it's you have to sign up for a full 12 months so you can't just sort of do 10 months you know a month here or a month there if you, once you sign up you sign up for the year sort of thing and the, the parallel in the travel world would be something like um, EasyJet with their um, with their cards their um, what do they call that they call that the EasyJet Plus is it yeah EasyJet's Plus 
plus card um, and that's 200 currently 215 pounds a year um, about twice as much as citizen m is charging um, and that gives if you sign up to the the easy jet thing you get so the ability to choose seats you get fast track security dedicated service desks and so on again very much like a uh, elite level membership you're buying your way into that elite level membership and i post a question in my commentary actually is this the way forward for um the whole loyalty scheme piece because I, I mean you know we had a relaunch of ihg's uh loyalty scheme a month or so ago it just well, largely passed the world by i think it's uh, just <laughs> they they changed the the way you get your your uh, points etc and so you it gets easier to get uh, up to a certain level but I mean I think frankly people are just so confused about all of these different offers they actually welcome something that simplifies and I think selling the actual elite membership level is quite a smart approach to this so I wonder whether we're going to see a lot more people adopting this um, it seems a pretty canny approach and it seems to be to me to be one that's likely to work better than um the initial subscription and subscribe and so you know you have to have three three nights a month um at a uh, at a citizen m i think they also offer a, a single night a month but that's uh, seemed a bit the other thing they offered which are um they're always doing um interesting initiatives actually citizen m they do this uh um what they call global passport where you buy a block of 30 consecutive nights um and it seems like a bargain rate but how often do you spend 30 nights non-stop at a hotel chris uh, i <laughs> never yet done that no, I don't know about you no, I don't um, no, but that's um, comes up. Obviously, it's only fifty euros a night. But they, if you're buying thirty consecutive ones on the trot, that's a pretty chunky number. So fifteen thousand um, per purchase. So um, the, the idea here, they only sold a thousand of these, and the idea here was that you're you're tapping into that uh, digital nomad market, which is the one that uh, uh, um, Mr. Chesky's favourite. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen hundred, I should say, per 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 purchase actually sorry i'm gonna get my my digits in the wrong place there um so yeah 1500 euros per uh, per bank still a chunky number to buy mm. actually but uh, um you know i'm surprised they found a thousand actually people who were <laughs> in the category where they wanted to do 30 nights um, at uh, on on the trot at a hotel but uh, there we go uh, an interesting an interesting one um I suspect, though, that this new category they've got coming up, this Citizen M+, that to me looks uh, on a lot more solid ground. It seems a very smart move, and I think it could really transform the whole um, loyalty scheme landscape. We'll wait and see, but it, um, I, I would certainly um, um, be taking a bet on that. Now we're seeing more money than ever making its way into the uh, the real estate world by way of investment, and uh, the latest fund manager survey conducted by those uh, those snappily named trio Anru, Inrev, and N NCR Reef. Um, they look at every year what happens what happens with the world of global real estate assets under management, and they reckon the uh, the total. Uh, they can count as is up substantially year on year um, the big uh, asset managers and fund managers seem to be getting bigger with more funds concentrated in their hands um, you know the people that we we read and write about Blackstone Brookfield those sort of people um, who are frequently buying and selling big stakes 
in big companies um, and uh, but what's also interesting is that there seems to be ever more cash waiting to be spent uh, and of course that that then means that uh, those holding that cash have to be ever more creative in the search for value the last thing I want to be doing is uh, all chasing around and uh, trying to buy the same stuff which means they just end up bidding each other up and ending up with uh, inferior returns so how creative can they be rather than just simply buying standing assets that are rented out and deliver a fairly solid return they need to be a bit smarter than than that and one of the things we also had a, a quick look at was is how despite uh, you know all this all this this fund this funds being these funds being out there these funds looking for a home um, the lending landscape is still uh, a bit sort of um, gappy there's some spaces need filling and there's there's ever more creative ways being being developed to to fill those gaps and just as a couple of examples um, one of the Irish state-backed funds has, has recently put together a 50 million euro fund which is specifically going to be lent out to uh, Irish hotel businesses uh, that have survived the pandemic but for some reason can't get bank funding uh, to get themselves back on their feet. So that's effectively a three-year loan that they're going to be offering from the fund to help get those businesses back on their feet uh, and up and running and maybe they'll be upgrading their premises, that sort of thing. So that's one interesting solution. The other thing is that there are more and more um, private equity debt funds coming into the market and uh, we've seen one recently uh, start to dip their toe into the hotel landscape. That's the Edmund de Rothschild Ream. They have just, uh, they've been lending previously to Europe European office projects and they've just lent uh, 28.3 million euros uh, by way of a, a loan uh, to uh, developers of uh, Hotel in Florence which is being turned into a, uh, a one of IHG's Indigo properties. Uh, so some uh, still some creative things going on by way of how can you deploy capital earn a better return in a world where there's more and more read about and um, uh, it's getting harder and harder to spot the easy opportunities. Yeah, more and more is certainly about. Um, it's interesting in, in terms of the amount. I mean, we talk a lot about the weight of capital that's out there. And I think InRev have some of the best scales for measuring that weight. Um, and what they're saying is that, uh, and of course, it's not just assets under management, which were some of the numbers there, we, which are humongous in terms of trillions. Um, it, it's the amount of dry powder um, that they have to deploy. Um, and they reckoned that it's something like Euro 300 billion in terms of waiting to go out for acquisitions. That's once you put in a bit of leverage, um, they're putting in the industry average leverage of just over 25%. So that's a, um, a whacking great big amount of money waiting to go into um, assets. So if, if you're thinking of a bargain, um, um, I think you're probably going to need to think again. There's just simply too much money out there looking to deploy, and it's going to be very difficult indeed um, to, to get to snaffle something up at a, at a super price. Um, in addition to this, I think uh, one of the comments that um, really leapt out at me uh, from the InRev stuff, I'm on maybe it's InRev, ANREV and um, what is the <laughs> North American ones called, ENCRIF I don't know, yeah, anyway um, so it's a combined um, 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 report the three of them put out and um, 
what leapt out to me at that was how they're talking about a new report on this chris how they 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 talk about uh, the switcheroo into um income rather than capital um, increases in terms of uh, creating uh, returns and they're looking at that income return for value preservation in particular Um, and if you're chasing that income return I think that's going to very much put wind in the sails of operational real estate um, a, a very big big area of development of course of which hotels are one of the, the major components of that and uh, um, I think we're very excited about the potential for operational real estate we've got a bit of a plug mm-hmm. coming up here we've got a conference coming up the operational real estate event um, operational real estate festival rather um, www.op-re.com on the 20th of September in London we've got the skeleton program up for that we've got a whole bunch of capital uh, providers talking a bunch of interesting um, operators talking and uh, a few um, of the very best and selected um, advisors talking as well so I think it's going to be a, a you know a, a very interesting and illuminating event focused on this huge growth area um, where we're going to see a lot of that uh, those billions and billions of capital pointing at real estate a lot of it's going to end up being deployed in operational real estate I think. Now we're going to take a look at the uh, ESG uh, agenda the green stuff the uh, corporate responsible stuff which seems to be uh, making more and more uh, of a way into uh, reports and headlines Um, we during the last set of quarterly results from all the big hotel groups it was noticeable that uh, many of the the CEOs wanted to put a paragraph or two in their prepared remarks about what they were doing as a business to approach some of these ESG challenges and perhaps reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, the other thing we've seen that uh, has kind of moved in the last few months is that we, we've already seen plenty of talk and news about green loans uh, and the idea that perhaps you'd get a better rate for a green loan than you would for a regular one but uh, we there's been a report from Aon Investments saying that uh, the lenders are getting far more sophisticated now they're working out how to uh, use measuring standardized measurement systems for these things and so the the idea of uh, the green discount is also going to be countered now probably by a kind of a, a penalty on the other side if you are failing to get to the beat and uh, demonstrate you are on a carbon reduction journey so they're warning that um, there'll be a bigger spread in future uh, in terms of finance so uh, if you're if you're really seem to be committed to going green and can uh, can prove that uh, then you're going to do much better in terms of obtaining uh, finance and funding and also obtaining it at better rates and uh, as we we were looking at this we've also just seen the um, the second annual report on uh, on ESG progress from uh, UK hotel group Whitbread who of course with all their premier inns are one of the biggest hoteliers in the UK and uh, are really pushing hard on this and um, have been making making progress on this for quite a few years they have a they have it under their slogan force for good they've got a board level member who is is in charge of all their ESG activities and um, more than that they've got a team working to kind of push it all the way through the the whole organization uh, they admitted that the last year has been quite difficult because uh, you've had the pandemic and that's slightly 
derailed some of the targets they had in mind uh, you know how do you remove single-use plastics when you're being asked to uh, wrap everything uh, food wise and put up perspect left right and center and and all wear gloves for this that and the other during a pandemic um, but anyway their, their point was um, we're not being derailed we're soldiering on um, here's our here's our, our targets here's what we've done this year here's what we're going to be doing the next year and so very publicly uh, declaring what they're up to, how it's being measured, how they're measuring it. One of their biggest challenges in terms of carbon reduction, interestingly, is uh, the volume of gas they use in their buildings for heating water, heating space, and for cooking. And uh, that uh, is, is, they said, the biggest challenge in, in terms of carbon reduction. And uh, they're, but they're working on it. Uh, but you know, there, there's, there are big issues around that um, along the way. You can't just simply pull out a gas boiler and stick in a an electric heat pump, and all will be well. Um, so lots to be done, uh, lots more action, but the whole thing suddenly started to look rather more sophisticated and also started to look rather more serious for practically every business because even with the large businesses uh, uh, taking taking control and, and sh producing reports, confirming what they're doing, uh, they are starting to trickle down the responsibility to even their smallest suppliers and subcontractors uh, requiring them to demonstrate that they are even at, at a very small scale doing their bit and uh, and, and demonstrating that they're reducing their carbon output as well yeah I the, the key thing is here is measuring it in the cliche if you can't measure it you can't manage it um, we are still very early days in ESG in terms of producing meaningful measurements uh, you've got a few pioneers i think whitbread is a very good example of that and some of the financing coming in and the um in terms of how they're structured around green bonds and that kind of stuff um it, it's very interesting to look at very innovative um it's not yet in terms of having a a very meaningful impact and you know the discount is is, is relatively modest um and so forth um i think as we get to the point where we have meaningful measurements that could well accelerate quite markedly once we get through that now we've said this before in terms of the IFRS which is the International Financial Reporting Standards Foundation US based thing which sets the accountancy uh, rules globally um, they are now setting up the International Sustainability Standards Board now they launched this announced this in November last year during COP26 and I think it's it's a very big a step in terms of making ESG going from a nice to have to a need to have in terms of because it, it, it's going to enable a proper regulation um, to come into play and, and government action on this as we get uh, a set of standards which uh, people are broadly agreeing on. Um, now I don't want to be too optimistic about that um, because I think uh, we I mean the European Commission um, for example is going its own way on this um, the IFRS is not surprisingly favoring uh, a focus on the financial impact of um, sustainability whereas the 
European Commission is trying to make it a broader, more nuanced measure, but that is necessarily far more subjective. Um, um, so there's all sorts of issues going to come to the fore with that. Um, but clearly we're getting to a point now, I think, where um, you know, companies need to be taking this seriously and they need to be looking hard at what is going on um, within their organizations um, on an ESG basis. Now um, I also go on in my piece to uh, I, I use the B word which we haven't mercifully had to talk about for a long while which <laughs> is Brexit um, because just as Brexit turned into this horribly divisive issue where you had lunatics on both sides of the argument both pro and um, um, you know remain and um, pro brexit um, we're getting to that point as well um, in terms of ESG and in fact if I look at a lot of the people who were very prominent on the sort of brexiteer side of things they're becoming very prominent on the sort of climate climate skeptic side of things um, we're getting into a whole culture war piece here and um, the Americans as is so often the case are very much ahead of the game on the culture war front I mean it's you know it's running a mock in 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 the US uh, politically at the moment you can't seem to have any sort of sensible political debates um, over there anymore and it's uh, unfortunately increasingly heading towards Europe as well I think and ESG looks like it's going to be embroiled in this um, as well um, where you've got people lining up very vociferous against it and people equally vociferous in favour of it and I've got a big fear that um, those of us in the middle trying to have a sensible discussion with informed debate are going to get shouted down as we were with Brexit so um, I'm, I'm slightly nervous about this whole thing mm. I have to <laughs> have to confess but um, um, I mean my hope is that we can have some level of sensible engagement and I think where corporates have to be careful is it they know it's no good them going off on some sort of unilateral um, you know uh, uh, sort of green campaign they need to do it as part of um, part of a process of engagement with the wider industry and government and the regulators um, I think there's a very real danger if you if a corporate takes an outlier position um, what you end up doing is alienating those people that don't agree with that position but you don't actually get that much benefit from people who do agree with that position so you might go on some sort of green crusade if you like but actually your net net result is going to be a negative because those people who um, are taking the sort of climate skeptic position um, which is growing and um, well take a view whether that's fortunate or unfortunate I'm going to try and remain you know <laughs> it, it, I'll simply say it's growing um, and that that you're at very real risk if you take up a say a, a green campaigning position of alienating those people who are hostile to this whole piece um, and unfortunately what you're not going to see is necessarily a much more a much of a knock-on benefit from people who are pro it so I think you have to be quite balanced in how you approach this and the best route forward is to engage through our um, um, lobby organizations we've got some great 
um, organisations out there to you know within the UK we've got UK hospitality um, who, who are trying to do that and we do need to make more of an effort as an industry to get our voice heard here because this is crucial because that regulatory stick is coming and we need to sort of step up and say um, you know the benefits of of our industry and and make a case for why we shouldn't get hit harder than other industries because those other industries are already doing that lobbying the farmers are in there the manufacturers are in there and hospitality um service industry businesses need to be in there too um and i you know i, I just don't think we're devoting enough effort and time and money and um, particularly um pointing the finger at the corporates here uh they need to be um you know writing bigger fatter checks for the likes of uk hospitality to ensure that this stuff gets done and gets seen to because we're not seeing that right now so um yeah it, it's a tricky it's a tricky nuanced debate this because this is you know i had to be quite clear it's just you know i was against brexit but i wasn't a sort of uh, over the top banana um sort of it's going to be the end of the world if we have brexit kind of person and equally you know i'm very much in favor of measured climate you know we need to tackle this it's a huge issue for the for the globe we need to tackle it but it needs to be tackled in a sensible way rather than a sort of xr way where we all dress up in funny red outfits and go go and sit in the middle of the street and stop cars moving um so it, it, it's uh, you know it just because i don't agree with xr doesn't make me a climate skeptic and and, it, and it's quite tricky um you know um you know, a bit like brexit chris when we ended up hmm. just being quiet about it because we was almost too it was too scary to even start talking about because it's it's just um and you know my my big fear is we're going to get into that sort of discussion around uh, um the ESG piece both both social and environmental in particular um, and we've already it's already there within the culture wars we're already seeing I mean that the FT had a very good article uh, this weekend um, about um, um, you know just just the backlash as they described it in terms of this in the states with a number of Republican um, politicians seeing it as a you know as, as an opportunity to to bash a few corporates I mean they cited uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida and his uh, uh, attack on Disney um, in terms of what as he sees it their woke agenda um, and you know I, I think corporates got to be a bit careful to keep out of that firing line um, on this but that doesn't mean they stop doing things on this it doesn't mean they, they stop engaging on this they've just got to do it in a in a sense and now to way. our five star awards and i think we're heading this week to japan is that right andrew yeah so um this is um well it's uh um davos they call him davos man um i'm not sure how um how, mm. how woke that yes, particular phrase ESG. is actually for, yeah. for what is quite a woke yeah what what is a quite a woke outfit actually over at davos but they do a thing called the travel and tourism development index um and they rank countries according to how friendly they are or, um towards travel and tourism um in terms of how you know all the things that are in place to help development of travel and tourism in that country 
and I, I, perhaps surprisingly um, um, I uh, it is Japan that's at the top of the list now uh, I say surprisingly um, because if you look at the moment how difficult it is to get into <laughs> Japan I think it's uh, <laughs> barely any easier than China um, I think to, to enter uh, well I suppose you can and they have started um, allowing tourists back in I think into into Japan uh, post-covid but um, only just um, so um, but yeah five stars to japan for getting to the top of this index i mean just read out the 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 top 10 it goes japan us spain france germany switzerland austria uk singapore italy so an interesting crew there in terms of their uh, travel and tourism friendliness um i think a few people might take issue with this ranking It'd be interesting i haven't uh, delved enough into it to actually establish um, um quite how they get to that uh, uh, uh um you know decision making on where they put people but uh, it's a bit like some of the criticisms i made about the uh, esg rankings um it's, it's a bit black boxy but um anyway five stars to japan for winning that world economic forum um travel and tourism and no stars i think you're heading a bit closer to home in fact very close to my home yeah, yeah no quite yeah so you can oh, perhaps dreadful, shout this out dreadful Drakeford, it strikes again yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes um so the wales Tour tourism alliance um sort of sort of hit the nail on the head with this where um that the, what they talked about uh, they that they said well look you know the, this new stance that the uh, Welsh government is taking on holiday lets in Wales they fear it's going to take out in their words local tourism bill uh, businesses um, and it's just this this ongoing uh, um, oh it's just seen that I think tourism is so often seen as mm. a soft easy target everybody hates a tourist <laughs> is the is seems to be the 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 rule amongst the politicians uh, um, and unfortunately you know we, we it's leading to seriously um damaging policies to our sector and we need to do something about this we need to get out there mm -hmm. and, and lobby. absolutely and on that activist note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>